passage this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. If you weren't with us last week, or your memory is short, uh, last week we looked at Mary receiving the news from the angel Gabriel that she would give birth to a son, that though she was a virgin, the power of the Spirit would overshadow her, and this one would be the Holy One, the promised son of David. And one of the things that she mentioned is that her cousin, her relation, Elizabeth, though in old age, would have a child. And so we read this morning of Mary's visit to Elizabeth and what transpires there. So let's ask that the Lord would bless us as we heed his word this morning. Luke chapter 1, 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, we come to your word, and we may be able to read it, we may be able to hear it, but apart from you and your blessing of it, Lord, we will not fully understand, we will fully not fully be blessed by what you have for us, your people. So by your spirit, feed us, sustain us. Show us the way in which we should walk, that our faith would be strengthened, that our service would grow. Lord, where I am lacking, Lord, whether in the weakness of my voice after sickness or the failure in my sinful frailty, be quickly forgotten as you bless your people with your word for your glory. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. In a few weeks, I'll be able to visit family where I grew up in Maryland. And there's a woman there that was like a second mother to me. Uh, uh, I babysat her kids who are younger than me. And she continues to, to be a teacher. And I don't know how she has the energy, especially as she deals primarily with early elementary kids. 
And she shared online what her lesson plan, what her curriculum is for the month of December. It's pretty simplistic. It's just two steps. Step one, scrape kids from ceiling. Step two, repeat if necessary. That's so simple, even I can grasp it. But in that, she's acknowledging what I think we know to be true, that this can be a hard season for teachers because it's a hard season for kids. They're excited. They're excited about the decorations. They're excited about all the extra sugar that we, for some reason, allow them to eat. They're excited about gifts and family and friends. And yet, in all that excitement, there's still a lot of waiting. There's a waiting for Christmas morn. There's a waiting for the end of the semester. There's a waiting for trips and plans. And waiting is hard. So we try to do what we can not to overexcite them, to get them going too far, too fast. You know, in our home, that means we don't put out any presents until the day of Christmas because otherwise they spend the whole time just trying to figure out what's in that gift. What is that? Can I have it? Can I open it now? And Advent is a time of waiting. It's a time of preparation for the return of the king, a day of great, exceeding joy. The great day of the Lord, which Malachi says will cause us to skip like the fattened calf released from the stall, delighting in the beauty of the field. But do we have to wait for joy as we wait for the Lord's return? Do we have to wait for joy? Is joy like that Christmas present that we long to open, but we can't yet? Is it like the fine china that we only bring out on a few occasions throughout the year where we permit ourselves a little bit something fancy? Maybe we're allowed some joy on the high days of the year. We can celebrate with joy on Christmas itself, and maybe on Easter, and maybe one or two other holy or happy days for ourselves. Perhaps you're wondering, not just about waiting for joy, is joy appropriate? Is it okay to have joy when there are all kinds of ugly wars constantly in the news, violence and man's inhumanity to man? When the season can seem to pour salt in the wounds of our personal loss and grief, but the night is long and dark, Can we dare allow ourselves to mess with joy when we've been through so much hurt and disappointment? In our passage this morning, we have an incursion of joy. More than an incursion, I would say we have an explosion of joy. But it's in the midst of uncertain and painful circumstances. Even as the Holy Spirit orchestrates this harmonious outbreak of joy between the unborn John, between Mary and Elizabeth. It happens as Elizabeth is undergoing a pregnancy late in life, before modern medicine. And we know what complications and uncertainties can come with with such a pregnancy. And even as she wants it so much, we can imagine what fears may be attending her. At the same time, Uh, She probably has not benefited from all the knowledge Zechariah has because Zechariah is mute and deaf and has probably not been able to communicate what Gabriel has said of this one growing inside her womb. 
And Mary has rushed immediately to see Elizabeth because she has been promised a child. And she wants to go confirm what the angel has said to encourage her own faith in that truth. And so she has had little time to process, well, what's this going to mean with Joseph? What's this going to mean for my reputation in the community? These unanswered questions, these yet looming circumstances are in the background. The promised Messiah that she has been told, that Mary has been told is, grow, is going to grow within her, hasn't won any battle against the Gentiles, hasn't been crowned as king, let alone born. Yet to these faithful women, where the Spirit is at work, there's joy. Joy that does not change the pain of Elizabeth's long history of barrenness. It does not change the fact that God's people are under the oppressive boot of Rome. But where there is faith and the Spirit at his work, there is joy. Joy is a gift, not just of light after darkness, but it is light that shines in the midst of darkness. God invites us to receive that gift in faith, not just at Christmas, not just at the high holidays of the year, but constantly in the midst of this season of waiting, of expectation and preparation. We aren't like little children that he says, set it off, you can't have it yet. But in his kindness, knowing the pain, knowing the grief, knowing the darkness that so very often overshadows what we are going through, offers us the gift of joy. What we're going to look at this morning is that gift and see that this is a gift that the Lord gives us in joy. And as I talk about joy, it's one of those words where we have this sense, okay, we can talk about happiness, we could talk about contentedness or blessedness. Just simply, I think it's the recognition and it's the apprehension or the participation in that which is good or pleasing. More simply put, it's seeing and having the good. Joy comes when we see and we have the good. God gives the gift of joy. And we see the first thing about joy is that it's a gift from God. That God is the source of joy in this passage. We see it first in John. Elizabeth describes to Mary all this wonderful good news. And as she does so, she says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Does this few-month-old child growing in the, the, the womb of its mother understand joy, have past experiences of joy upon which it can draw? No. With the presence of the Spirit in a way in which that unborn child, John, cannot understand, even in ways that we cannot understand, there is joy produced as a gift from the Spirit. The Spirit gives John joy. Just as Gabriel promised, the Spirit would be present in the unborn John, and it grants this little one joy at the recognition of the presence of the promised Messiah, the very one that John was born to testify to. But then there's joy in Elizabeth. It says here in the passage that not only is the Spirit at work in the baby, but Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. 
And that filling with the Spirit causes her to break out in a loud voice, proclaiming blessing, saying, Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And by, by, by connection, blessed am I. Who am I that I get to see the woman who has been honored by God to bear my Lord? She is delighted because God, through the Spirit, has revealed to her what's happening in this situation. He gives her the gift of participation and bearing witness. And then Mary testifies in joy. The opening of what we often call Mary's Magnificat, that just comes from the Latin to magnify, says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does that magnification come from? For my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary has joy, and as she begins to sing or, or give voice to this poetry, reflecting on God's goodness, magnifying the Lord, we see all kinds of reasons that her spirit rejoices, that God is merciful, that God forgives his people for their waywardness and their sin. That God is mighty, but not only is he mighty and holy, but he exercises that might on behalf of the weak and the oppressed. It says he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones, and he exalts those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. Those that have suffered under that oppression, he fills. And those that have grown rich and fat off that oppression, he scatters. Mary is reflecting on what blessedness she has experienced and connects that to the blessedness that God has shown in the history of God's people as cause for joy. Even as she says, the Lord has looked on the humble estate of the servant and behold, all people will call me blessed, for he has done great things for me. So far, all that the Lord has done is give her a child, and with that child, all manner of complication. And yet she knows from the history of God's propensity to give good gifts, that she can rejoice in what God has said is coming for her. The Lord is the source of good gifts. He gives joy to his people. When the Lord, uh, Psalm 126 reminds us that this isn't new to Luke. In Psalm 126, the psalmist says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. God gives joy. Celebration, laughter, smiling, all befit God's people because we are recipients of God's good gifts. As those who look to him in faith, we see even more clearly who he is. We know better what he has done we know better how undeserving we are of what God has done as we have understanding of sin and disobedience and our faithlessness and yet therefore have even more reason to see how kind and good God is to give us gifts and with those gifts to produce within us joy. The sober-mindedness that we are called to as Christians, the grief over sin and pain, the discipline of mind and body 
all these things that we're meant to have, none of them are meant to remove joy. But rather, they are to see the world as it is, to see ourselves as we are, to see that these things that Mary describes, the the destruction of the unjust, the filling up of the hungry, these are things we cannot give ourselves. But God can, and he has, and he does, and he will. And so we receive the gift of joy as God gives that gift to us. So very often, as we wrestle, or you know people who wrestle, or colleagues wrestle with the question, well, is there a God? Or they say, you know, is there a God? How do I know that there's a God? One of the things we might say is, well, if there is no God, then there's no purpose. Or if there's no God, there's no good or bad, because there's no standard of what's right and what's wrong. And those things are true, but, but I would also add to you, and, and maybe we are, we are not doing a good enough job in our sharing of the good news of the gospel to say, if there is not God, there's not joy. Because then all that there is are chemical reactions in our brain sending stimuli through our body. That, that means that the laughter of a child, the reunion with long-lost friends, a shared joke is not good. It's not a blessing. But if it's something God gives, and if he's made our bodies and our minds and our hearts to respond to them, then we are right to delight in them and receive those things as gifts. Joy is a gift from God. He gives joy. And one of the ways he gives joy is that he gives himself. Not only is joy a gift from God, like a package we receive from a distant uncle or aunt, but joy is a gift of God, the giving of himself to his people. This passage is a joyous moment among John, among Mary, among Elizabeth, because the Lord is there. The passage is explicit that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. As we said earlier, chapter 1, verse 15, Gabriel said that John would be filled with the Spirit from the womb. And so where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is joy. There is a kicking baby. There is an effusive cousin. There is a singing teenager. Because the Spirit is there. And so where the Spirit is, is joy. And it shouldn't surprise us. Perhaps we run too quickly by it, but the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, 22, encouraging Christian faith and growth and maturity, says, encourages us to evaluate our spiritual health by our fruit. And says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 22, says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The Holy Spirit should produce holiness and patience and goodness and righteousness. But if the Spirit is at work in you, there should be joy because God is full of joy. We don't tend to say that, to say God is joy the way that we would say God is love. Well, on one hand, because there's not an explicit verse in the Bible that says God is joy, but God's word does say that God is blessed or that God is happy. And the Genevan reformer, and if you think in your mind a stern guy from the 1500s, early 1600s, with formal gowns and probably someone that would seem a curmudgeon to you, you might have the right picture. But hear what this person 
says of God. This is from Benedict Pictet, who lived in Geneva around the time of Calvin. The life of God is most happy, since he is more than once called blessed God by Paul. And the validity of that reference will be clear to anyone who properly considers the concept of true happiness. For who would not call God happy, who is in need of nothing, finds comfort in himself, possesses all things, is free from evil, and filled with good? Notice in that description of God as happy or blessed, how it contrasts with us. He's in need of nothing. We often need so much. Finds all comfort in himself. Sometimes we can barely stand to be silent with our own thoughts. Who possesses all things. Who is free from evil. Filled with all good. Notice how that contrasts with us. And yet what is God who knows that we are often sorrowful, grieved in our sin, do? He gives himself. He gives himself as the remedy. That when Adam and Eve, through their sin in the garden, lost the enjoyment of fellowship with God or sent from his presence, God says, good riddance? No. He draws near in covenant with his people. He calls the people to himself in Israel. He makes for them a way to be in worship and fellowship with him through the sacrificial system and in so doing, pointing and preparing them for the coming of Jesus so that in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, we could have fellowship with God forever. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, because the way to joy is in the giving of God to his people. Jesus, though a man acquainted with sorrows and griefs, came bringing joy with his presence, feasting with sinners, healing the sick, restoring sight, blessing little children. Jesus came not to just give us reasons for joy, but to give us himself. The healing forgiveness of sins, the resurrection to prepare us for eternal life. God is with his people. God's spirit is with those who have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus, which means that we have not just reasons for joy, we not only have a source of joy, but we have the very fountain of joy with us now. Which is not to deny sorrow. Which is to not deny grief. Which is not to say that depression and anxiety disorders are not real. But what I'm saying is that when you and when I are not able to conjure up or make for ourselves joy, when by digging down within us we can't find a source of happiness, God instead gives himself to us. If you're in a place of struggle, perhaps you're asking God to stop the grief, to stop the pain. Or maybe you just feel a lack of joy then let me suggest, not that you stop praying for those things. Keep praying for them. They're biblical. They're good prayers. But at the same time that you pray for more of the Lord himself, more of his presence, that he would help you concentrate on who he is, that he would help you to be with him, that in reflecting as Mary does on who the Lord is, how he has delivered the poor as he has fed the hungry, the one who blessed her in her humble estate, as the one who fixes the wrongs in the world, 
the one who punishes the joy stealers. That God doesn't just give us medicine. He doesn't just give us weapons or wisdom or education to fix what is wrong. The ultimate fix and the ultimate hope for joy is that he gave himself. He gives himself. And we will have him forever with us when he comes again and makes all things right. Joy is a gift of God himself. And it's a gift for God. And you're like, what? This is, this is where I admit as a pastor, I want things to sound neat and tidy. And, and so really what I mean by this third point is that joy is a gift for God because God delights to give us reason for joy to turn back to him in worship and in testimony. To receive glory as we rejoice in him with worship and for his glory as we invite others into that joy through our witness and our testimony. Notice how does Mary respond to all of this reason for joy? Her, her cousin Elizabeth in her old age is going to have a child and that baby is healthy. It just kicked for joy at the presence of Mary. She's just had confirmed to her that what Gabriel said is true. That not only is Elizabeth pregnant, but, but Elizabeth is testifying that now Mary, as the Lord had said would happen, is pregnant. That she is honored to bear the Lord, the Messiah. And how does she respond to that joy? With worship. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God gives us joy so that we might delight in him and worship, to give voice to that in our songs and in our prayers and in our testimonies. It's interesting that we, in a culture that's moved very much to the individual, and very much away from worship, to note that singing has departed from most of our shared culture. That one of the reasons so many people are, get excited about Christmas carols is it's one of those few times where we might actually get together and sing with people, where it used to be common to regular culture for us to sing while we work, to sing while we're at school. Yet Sunday morning, we still sing. We still join our voices because we have something to celebrate. God and the joy he brings. And here's the wonder of worship in general, but especially in song, is that such songs invite people in. They give them a place to participate in the joy. Hear the tune, and when you begin to know the tune and the theme and the melody, then you can begin to join in. That as God glorifies himself in displaying reasons of joy, as we give that joy back to him in praise, that is an invitation to others to come experience that joy in God. That's what Elizabeth does, not through worship, but in her testimony. Elizabeth, by the Spirit, is given prophetic insight into what's happened. She bears testimony to God's blessing to the joy and happiness that God is bringing. And in so doing, she gets to enter into that joy, even as she shares it to God's glory. In her words on pregnancy, she affirms the goodness of God's promises to Mary. In her words, she is inviting Mary to further joy and delight in God. As we receive God's gift of joy, most particularly in the receiving of Christ, we are blessed to testify to that joy to share that goodness with others, to offer it to them and show them how they can have it. 
And when we are touched by joy, it leads us to delight in what God is doing and his blessing in others. One of the things we get to do is not only say, this is how God has blessed me, but we get to look at others and see them as a blessing. We get to pronounce blessing upon them. We get to say, see what God is doing in your life, even if you don't see it. I've got three boys, and the two oldest, John and Gideon, uh, when they were young, before they could speak, they knew what a motorcycle was, especially a Harley. They knew that noise. And not only the noise, but the power it evoked and the wonder that it sits on two wheels. And, and so pretty quickly, they learned the word motorcycle. Motorcycle. And I would be driving down the street, or Rebecca would be driving down the street, and suddenly this little child in the back, who can barely say what they had for breakfast that morning or pronounce the names of their siblings, would, would suddenly shout out, motorcycle, motorcycle. Because the delight in that motorcycle, the delight in knowing what it is and having a word for it wasn't just something for them. It was something for them to share with us. Look, Mom, look, Dad motorcycle we get to proclaim look joy look blessing look favor from God look forgiveness salvation restoration justice as we are tuned to see the hand of God at work the presence of the Lord to bring joy we get to turn it back to God in witness as we invite others to see it too For a few more days, the days are still getting shorter. The time of light is less. And that means I have to keep reminding myself to turn back the timers to a little bit earlier for the lights on our front porch, for the big lights here in the parking lot at the church. Because when it's dark, we turn lights on so that people can see their way out of the darkness. So that someone coming to our home can find our home to come in out of the darkness into warmth and fellowship. So that people coming to the church to enjoy study at night can find the driveway and find each other. We turn the lights on so that people can see how to get out of the darkness. And Jesus, the light of the world, came into a world of sorrow and grief and pain to give himself that in him we might have joy. And so yes, even though we are still waiting his final return, even though there is much darkness, even though some days it feels like the darkness is expanding, we have the light of Christ. And as we shine the light of Christ, others see a way to enter into that joy. And so let us leap like John. Let us proclaim in a loud voice like Elizabeth. Let us sing with Mary. We don't have to wait for joy, for he's come into the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you know the very words that I've sought to preach this morning are words that I need. Joy, delight in the blessings you give the experience of joy in walking with you. And so I pray, Lord, that what we've heard, which is true this morning, would not just be something that we place upon the shelf of our minds, but, Lord, we would pursue you and find a new joy. 
that that joy would be a light to guide us in days of darkness, grief, and sorrow, and that to those who also find themselves in darkness, the light that you shine in us would invite others into the joy of knowing you. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.